Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes, click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crew at UGA podcast. I'm Kyler, a full-time staff member with Crew, and with me again this week for our Tuesday episode is Alan. So Alan, we're starting a new semester, so that means a new series for the podcast, which we're going to be starting today called I Believe. But before we get into that, first, tell our listeners what we have coming up February 5th and 6th weekend. Right. Hi, everybody. Yeah, February 5th and 6th, if you're a Crew student, we have a really fun, unique opportunity that we're pretty excited about, and it is our winter conference Winter Conference is something CREW does every year. It's a great place where students come together to grow in their faith, discover your place in the mission of God, what your calling is, how do I know God's will, mm-hmm. how do I grow better is basically what it is. It's just a hugely encouraging time. Of course, just like <laughs> everything in 2020, <laughs> right. it's changed, it's yeah. different. <laughs> Normally, Winter Conference happens at seven locations, different cities around the U.S. People come from all over. There might be a 1,000 or... 3,000 people sitting in a hotel ballroom. Right. Not doing this this year, but thousands of students from all over the country nationwide are going to get together, and I like to call it semi-virtual. That's right. Because the content is going to be virtual on kind of a a cool, unique platform that's not a Zoom call, but Mm -hmm. very interactive. Yeah. But we are also going to be together because as far as UGA is concerned, we're actually going to have a couple of watch parties where on Friday night, February 5th, We're going to be together in a very large space, all spread out for those who come. We're going to be able to watch it, but be together. We're going to be able to do some worship in a a COVID-safe way. Mm -hmm. We're going to do the same thing Saturday night. And then Saturday during the day, we're going to have small groups at people's houses. So you can kind of watch uh, online. There's some breakout seminars that you can do together or individually. And I just think it's going to be a really unique, interesting time. I can't wait to see what our crew national leaders do with it. Yeah. Um, I know there's going to be an online concert uh, with Naomi from Maverick City Worship, mm. which is super cool. It's going to be awesome. And uh, I just want to encourage people to sign up because I think it's going to be a really fun, unique weekend. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great time too. And so right now, sign-ups for Winter Conference, they're live. You can go ahead and do that right now. Uh, you don't want to miss out. Um, you will need to sign up for that, obviously, before February 5th so we can you know, include you as we plan and invite you to that. The cost is only $19, uh, and you can sign up with the link provided in the show notes. And with your $19, you get a... Swag box. Swag box, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It's filled with all kinds of really cool stuff that yeah. uh, for you, and it really will help you continue to grow in your faith. So it's going to yeah. be really cool. And there's some fun stuff like a coffee tumbler and different yeah. things like that. It's just kind of fun to have. Yeah, it really yeah. will be. So once you sign up for that, we will reach out to you about all the details you need to know for our crew at UGA watch parties. And so be sure to do that. Now, Alan, let's get into the meat of this episode, shall we? So as we start this I Believe series that we're going to be doing, why don't you start by just telling us what this is all about? Sure. So as we sat down to think about what are we going to do this semester, there are a couple things we wanted to hit. We wanted to talk about what does a Christian believe and how does a Christian live kind of over the course of the next few months. And so we came up with this I Believe series 
which is a series on some basic foundational Christian doctrines, or defined beliefs is what that means, which many people you may have grown up with if you have a church background but may have never fully understood the implication of. Some of you may not have grown up with a church background, and so hearing some of these things are kind of new, or to hear them expressed in kind of a quantifiable way may be a first-time experience for you. But either way, our hope is that a clearer picture of God will lead to a greater affection for God, that we'll see him more clearly, we'll love him better and better as we see him. So we're going to look at five of these foundational doctrines or Christian beliefs, one of these foundational doctrines each week. Um, There will be some theology involved, so if you have that kind of (laughs) That kind of leaning, you'll really like it. But we're not going to be so heady that we miss the heart of them and their implications for how we live. Right. So if you're not a seminary type person, <laughs> no fears. Yeah. Don't worry. Right. It's Absolutely. just going to be great. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And so softball now, for you to knock out of the park, we're starting with, I believe God is three in one. So Trinity, which is one of the most complex Christian beliefs we have, Start I think. Easy. Starting easy. Starting <laughs> easy. So, so Alan, why don't you knock it out of the park for us? What is the doctrine of the Trinity? Right, right. What is the Trinity and why is it important? Because this is Christian. Mormons don't believe it. Muslims don't believe it. Mm -hmm. Christian doctrine, however, some people would say, even to the extreme, stands or falls on this as one of the main tenets about God and who he is. And while this may be difficult to wrestle with because it is mysterious, you actually, you don't want a solitary God. In a minute, I'll tell you why. Mm. But let's talk about what it is. The Bible never uses the word Trinity. That's a word theologians have come up with to describe the teaching. But even though the Bible doesn't use the word, it does teach it over and over again. So briefly, what we mean by Trinity is that God has what we call three persons, but is one God. The three are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And By saying they are three in one, what we mean is they're one God altogether. But the three different persons are individual, distinct, and have different functions, as it were. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit. Now that sounds a little confusing, but I think as we get into it, We can try to make a little more sense of it that will never make complete sense. But let me talk about the biblical basis for a second. You see this all over the New Testament after the Son is revealed. For instance, Jesus himself teaches it in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself is describing God that way. Or Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here you have the apostle speaking directly about God as the Trinity and the three persons, even though he doesn't use the word. You'll note the order varies. That's not important as if it were a hierarchy. It's just the nature of who God is. In the baptism of Jesus, which is in all four Gospels, you see the persons of the Trinity presented together. The Son is baptized, the Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, the Father speaks. And so over and over again, you see the three persons of the Trinity mentioned, talked about specifically, and God represented as this. On the other hand, 
the Bible writers were very clear there was only one God, not multiple gods, and they weren't talking about three different gods. For instance, 1 Corinthians 8, 4, Paul says, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. Very clear. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 4, one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now that, in case you don't know it, is a special passage. It's called the Shema. Everybody say that with me. Shema. Shema. That's right. <laughs> That's the Hebrew word for here. That's how the passage starts. And this is the most important passage in the Jewish scriptures. Jesus affirmed that in Mark 12, 29. The lawyer comes up to him and he asks, what is the most important commandment in the law? And Jesus answers, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. For a Jewish person, they grew up in a synagogue with this. I have Jewish friends that I went to high school with and they would sing Shema Israel Adonai Elohuna Adonai Echad. I thought I'd just impress you with a little yeah, Hebrew nice. there, but Echad <laughs> means one. He is mm. one God, right? Yeah. But why is this most important? Because the verse that follows it is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But this idea of God being one is so much at the heart of the nature of God that that we have a monotheistic religion. This is not Hinduism. We do not believe there are a multitude of gods out there. This is not New Age thinking where every tree has a god. This is not pantheism. There's one God. So here you have Jesus who claims that he himself is God, and he also says God is one. So clearly the Bible teaches God is three in one. And what that means is that the whole undivided essence of God belongs equally to each of the three persons. The divine essence, it's not divided among the three persons, but it's wholly present with all its perfections in each one of those three persons, yet each one is separate. So it's not one plus one plus one equals three. It's one plus one plus one equals one. All right. (laughs) All right. Head hurt yet? A little bit. (laughs) Listen, we we could do a more in-depth study of this. And we won't on this podcast. But if you want resources for that, write to us and we'll point you to them. Yeah, absolutely. And one practical way, maybe, if you're listening, you can engage with this and finding the Trinity in the Bible. Put on your Trinitarian goggles as you read the Bible and look for all three persons of the Trinity. You can find this in the Old and New Testament. Yes. Um, You know, a, a practical way to do this is when you see God the Father, maybe put a triangle by him. When you see God the Son, put a cross by him. And when you see God the Spirit, put like a little star by him. And in the Bible, you will see the Trinitarian God in Scripture. So a very practical way to maybe think more about that or get more used to that when you read the Bible. Exactly. And I think you see it unfold before you. But we have to admit, this is a mystery. It is a mystery. (laughs) But that we have to admit the fact that there may be some mystery to God is not something that really should surprise us. We are finite creatures. Right. And it's only natural that we may not, with our human minds, completely comprehend everything about God. Mm-hmm. That only makes sense. Uh, one of my favorite verses, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. There are things we're not meant to grasp. They belong to God. But what is revealed to us 
And what is revealed to us about the Trinity is to be followed and known and cherished and lived by. Right. Right. So let's, given that background, talk about why is this important and what difference does it make to us? Why, why is this doctrine important to know and learn? Wouldn't it be enough to just kind of understand God is there and just kind of go with it? And to answer that, I am going to read one very important passage, which is kind of our main passage for the day. And my hope is that as we read this passage, our hearts are just going to burst with happiness. Hmm. And it's John 17. So let me start into it. I'm going to start, this is verse 3. It says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, you are probably familiar with this verse, but it's so important. Because what it's saying is, is when we talk about eternal life, eternal life is a relationship. Mm. It's knowing God. It's a state of and a function of knowing God. But here's how Jesus expands on that idea later in John 17. I'm going to pick it up with verse 20 through 24. So if you're following along, you can read that or listen carefully. Here's what it says in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. You hear the language that he's using, Mm -hmm. right? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Here we go again. That they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. And here we go again and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. There's a lot of talk about unity and oneness in that passage, right? Mm -hmm. But this is not the unity and oneness kind of talk that we talk a lot about today in America, about can't we all get along, can't we not have so much division. The oneness and unity that Jesus is talking about It's a different point. What is that point? He requests that God would bring all us who believe to complete salvation, which is defined as what? Being one with God as Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are one. Hmm. Do you see it? Yeah. See, it doesn't mean that we actually become God. But what he's saying is salvation is joining into the oneness of God joining into that love relationship that is going on. Because what is that oneness? It's love. Hmm. That you have loved them even as you have loved me, is what Jesus has said. Jesus is saying, I want you to save them. And what that means is they get to experience that love we get to experience. They get to join us, right? Love. The essence of God is love. We are told it's love. 1 John 1, 8. God is love. So many other passages. John three sixteen on and on. God is love. And all these verses demonstrate God practices love as his nature among the persons of the Trinity. You see why this is so important, right? A solitary God is not love. Hmm. Love is outward. Right. God has never been a lonely, self-centered individual. Hmm. He is, in his mysterious nature, existing as one in three. Three persons in a perfectly loving, honoring, fulfilling relationship. See, God exists 
in this relationship of persons perfectly loving one another, self-sacrificially submitting to one another forever. Hmm. And that's why Jesus says to the Father in John 17, 24, you loved me before the creation of the world. That's a description of Trinity life. Right. Right? Yeah. And what Jesus is saying is, God, all those that you've given me, all those who believe, bring them into that Trinity life with us. Hmm. Bring them into that love, that oneness that we have. Wow. That's amazing. Now, that's the thought that should really make our hearts burst because this is why the Trinity is so important. Think of the implications of what we just read. Number one, God is love. Hmm. He's a loving God in his very nature. The Trinity is a loving relationship. He's a good God. He's a positive God. He cares. He's tender. He loves. That's who he is. Hmm. Number two, God is relational. His nature is to be in relationship in the Trinity. And I guess number three follows from that. We, being created in his image, are also relational. So this is part of who we are. We reflect this part of God. We, too, are made for relationship, which is why when you turn on the radio in the car, you have so many pop songs sung about being in love, I guess. We're just naturally thinking relationally all Mm -hmm. the time. But the ultimate relationship we're really made for is with God. And so 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says about us going to heaven to be with God. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit being in us is basically saying, hey, mm. one day you're going to be in Trinity life with us. Mm. And until that time, I'm going to walk with you and take you there. That's so good. That's an amazing thought, it right? It is so good. Wow. So I think another implication of this, too, maybe the last one I'd mention right now is, well, one of the things we have to understand that is important from Trinity is that God has no needs. God is perfectly sufficient in the Trinity relationship, and so he did not need to create us, right? So why did he create us? It was not because he was lonely. It was not because he was bored. It was not because he wanted to be a control freak. He did so in order that we could share in that perfect love that he has. And that's what Jesus prays all through John 17. Father, bring them into this oneness so they can enjoy it too. This is what we call knowing God or salvation. Yeah, that's so good. And and Alan, as you talk about the last point of God not having needs, you know, this doesn't exist in a vacuum. This is real life. People really do maybe struggle with this or, or have different views on this. You know, just last semester, I was talking with a student that I met on campus, and we were talking about his beliefs on life and spirituality, and I asked him just very plainly, do you believe in God? And he said, yes, I believe in God. And so we were talking more about that, and I, and I said, why do you think God created us? Just ask him what he thought. And no joke, his answer was probably just because he was bored. Or maybe he just wanted to see what would happen. Wow. And he kind of compared it to like a video game. That God wow. was just like, I'm bored. I want to play with these subjects that yeah. I make and just to see what happened. Yeah. And so I was talking to him more about this. And you know, I asked him about the Trinity, if he was familiar with the doctrine of the Trinity. And he kind of was familiar with it, but he didn't believe in it. He didn't think it was real. He didn't think it was true. But Alan, like you said, like this doctrine of the Trinity is so crucial for our understanding of God and what he is like because God did not create us like you said he didn't create us because he was bored Mm -hmm. our amazing Trinitarian God doesn't and will never and has never been bored correct he created us out of an overflow of his Trinitarian love and he wanted to share that with us for all of eternity yeah isn't that amazing I mean this is this is the real conversation and I feel like 
This is why we need to know and understand this, because this is a real struggle to understand the nature of our existence. If we don't understand the nature of God, we miss everything. Yeah. We have to understand this is true, because it defines so much of us, right? right? It's hitting you now, right? Yeah. This is why Christians have to prize this doctrine so rightly, because the nature of God declares this is the nature of our salvation. So let me finish with this. If God is love and is the supreme being in the universe, what is the most loving thing he could possibly do? Give us himself. Bring us into the love which he is. That invitation is what is offered to every person. Believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and be welcomed into this love in which we were created to share. Yeah. So, so maybe one last implication follows the fact that this is an invitation, and that is, since this is the most loving thing that could possibly be done, and it came at the cost of great sacrifice, it follows that rejecting that invitation, therefore, is the most evil and offensive thing that can be done. Hmm. Make sense? Yeah. See, a lot of times we treat sin likely as if it's no big deal, but sin actually is the rejection and spurning of the the greatest loving act in the universe, Mm. right? To be offered to join into the Trinitarian love. It is just offensive beyond what words can describe. When a child rejects his or her parents' sacrificial love, or maybe a person rejects the romantic love of a faithful spouse, I mean, we call that a tragedy, and we're offended by it. Well, then how tragic and evil is it to reject the offer of self-sacrificial love from the God of the universe Mm -hmm. and instead choose selfish, temporary, self-gratifying sin instead. I mean, that that should terrify us. No wonder hell seems so extreme. Mm. It's because the act of sin is extreme enough to merit it when you see it in this light. Mm. So you can see why this Trinity doctrine must be understood rightly and believed. This is just a crucial belief of Christians. And as Christians say... I believe God is three in one. Wow, Alan, that's that's all truly just amazing to think about and talk about. You know, there is no God like our God, and that's wonderful news yeah. that we can celebrate. So, just to recap a little bit, when we think about this question, why is God love? The answer is because God's Trinity. Mm-hmm. And when we think about why can we be saved, the answer is because God is Trinity. That's huge. That's yeah. big time. And we also know to be true that the only reason we are able to live the Christian life is because, Alan? Because God is Trinity. That's right. You know, we don't have a ton of time to talk about that and go into all that today, but maybe another time. But, but this doctrine is just so precious to us, and it's so important to talk about. Yeah. You know, I will share with our listeners, if this topic confuses you, you're not alone. Uh, or if it intrigues you more and you want to do further thinking on this, which I'll encourage that, that you do, uh, an amazing book recommendation that I have is Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Uh, such an amazing book. And the link to this book, I'm going to put it in the show notes for you to click on. So if you want to read more, you can, you can read that book. Or if you just want to explore this topic more in a conversation setting, me or Alan or other crew staff, we would love to do that with you. And so the best way you can get in touch with us, you can DM us on Instagram or you can fill out the survey in the show notes. Yeah, that's great. Thanks so much, Kyle. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Thanks for being on this week's episode, for talking you know, about this stuff with us. And, and to everyone listening, just thanks for being here and joining us. And, and be sure to listen to our Friday Spotlight episodes. And we will also catch you next week as we continue our I Believe series.